Well, good evening. Let's stand all over the house this, this evening. Let's sing an old hymn of the church. It simply says, Amazing Grace. We thank the Lord for His, His amazing grace. Let's sing together. Will amazing grace, how sweet the sound that
standing again if you don't mind at this time let's sing uh, this praise chorus together I am thankful for the change Jesus made in my life let's sing it together well I am thankful for the change Jesus made in me I am thankful for the day Jesus set me free I am Change. I am thankful, we are. I am thankful for the change Jesus made in me. I am thankful for the day Jesus set me free. I am thankful, so thankful, thankful for the change in me. Well, I am thankful for the change Jesus made in me. I am thankful for the day Jesus set me free. I am thankful, so thankful, thankful for the change in me. Oh, I'm thankful for, well, I am thankful for the change Jesus made in me. I am thankful for the day Jesus set me free. I am thankful, so thankful. Thankful for the changing. I'm so thankful. Well, I am thankful. Oh, we're so thankful. We're thankful for the
into the darkness to shine. Out of the ashes we rise, there's no one like you. None like you. Our God is greater, so we sing. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Oh, at water you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind, there's no one like you, none like you. Into the darkness, so we sing. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes, out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you, none like you. Will I? 
Oh. 
and secrecy of this moment to love and adore you and to worship you in the beauty of holiness God inhabit the praises that have been uplifted blessings of God let them flow downward God for any man, woman, boy or girl watching online or that is on this campus tonight God I pray that they would leave this place knowing today they have been in the presence of the King, the presence of the Savior they have been in the presence of the Lord. Father, I pray you would be with us as we get ready to break the bread of life. Help our hearts and ears and eyes to be attentive to what thus saith the word of the Lord. We will forever give you the praise and the glory and the honor that is due your name. In Jesus we pray. In the body of Christ together said amen. 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 You may be seated briefly in the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 19 and I'll have you stand for that reading of that in just a moment. Second Samuel chapter 19. We're going to be reading starting in verse 24. and We'll drop down uh, through verse 30. There will be just a few passages of scripture tonight. Let me say to all that contributed as you're turning to Second Samuel 19. Uh, to all that contributed to 
retired minister's offering. Let me say thank you, and uh, and I, how much I appreciate that. Um, I, I believe it was about one thousand fifty dollars, so over a thousand dollars will be sent to our retired ministers in this state. You should give yourselves a, a hand of. Um, and uh, you know, I uh, I'm always amazed at how God just He always surprises me. <laughs> Uh, when it comes to stuff like that, but you, you know, we we might be sending a thousand dollar check to the retired ministers, but somewhere along the way, we'll get it back somewhere. Whether it's in some donation, whether it's in some gift, whether it's somebody donates something that's of that value, we won't miss it. God ain't gonna let His church go under for blessing others. So, um, so I'm thankful for that today. Uh, we started a. A series a couple weeks ago on Sunday night and it'll finish up tonight just like the finished uh, assignment series on the mornings finished up this morning we will start the Christmas holidays let me just give you some heads up about I'm not going to announce all again but you know all the Christmas parties and holidays and things like that um, Miss Carol's been passing out um, and I'll make another announcement next Sunday cards for you if you want to drop by their house it's up and running their Christmas wonderland it's cheaper than James Island County Park uh, James Island County Park um, is about uh, $15 pre-advanced, and it's $25 at the door uh, just to drive through the lights. You can just drive through to Brother Randy and Sister Carol's house, go inside, eat their food, and leave, and they don't charge you. So um, you do as you wish, but uh, James Allen doesn't provide food. So, I, you know, you do what you want. Santee Cooper's $5, but you still don't get food. So, I mean, you do what you I like food. I don't care what the lights do. What's for dinner? So, you know, uh, you do what you want, but... Um, but you can get a card from them. Uh, it's there at their house. If you've never seen it, the operation, please see it. Uh, if you've never seen it, this might be your last chance. We've decided as corporate between Brother Randy, Sister Carol, and just me being there listening and had this discussion. They don't know how many more years they're going to do this. It's a lot of work. And Brother Randy said, look, I'm tired of getting down on my hands and knees to light this thing up down here. So uh, you might want to this. You might want to take advantage of this year because <laughs> um, you may see it on Marketplace for sale next year. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, but make sure, you know all the Christmas things, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day services and things like that. But starting next Sunday, we'll start our Christmas season, our Christmas series. And this year I'm doing something I've never done before, a little different. Uh, one year I preached on the characters of Christmas. One time I preached on the chaos of Christmas. One time I preached on Christmas treeology and we went through the entire parts of the Christmas tree and how Jesus represented each part, the light of the world, how he died on a wooden cross and we went through all that. He's divine and we're the branches and all those different aspects we did uh chaos at christmas just everything how everybody's life was upended during christmas and the characters of christmas what joseph's perspective mary's perspective this year i'm gonna do something a little bit different i'm going to actually it's more of a nominal um style but i, I still believe that that from a pentecostal background we still can do it we're going to be preaching through the advent season i'm going to be preaching a four-part series on hope love joy and peace and we're going to walk through them methodically each sunday morning uh, on Christmas Sunday, Christmas Eve night, we will kind of give a synopsis of all of it in the last light, the last one. And on Christmas Day, Sunday will be the last of the four, if you will, where we'll light the final candle. If you've ever seen how the Advent candles work, there's like two purple, a pink, or a rose color, and then you got you light it all the way up to a big white one in the center. And uh, we're going to preach through it, not because we're wanting to become some kind of Buddhist temple with a bunch of candles, but I do think that the message of Christmas, especially where we're living at today, is people need to know there's still hope in Jesus. There's still love. At the, Jesus still loves them regardless. 
there's still a peace that surpasses all human understanding. You know, so there's love, there's joy, there's peace. All of these things comprise, uh, if you will, uh, and we all, we all know that Jesus was the hope of the world. I mean, that's what he came for, to give people hope, to give them a chance. And there's people that need to still hear that message. And he might not be a baby anymore, but there's still a hope he's coming back. So they can see him not as a baby, but as a king. So um, we're going to preach and go through the Advent season. So I want you to uh, be mindful, um, you know, of that, if you will. So there won't be like a real fancy, uh, if you will, uh, um, you know, title. And there's not, you know, in terms of, you know, it's not going to be Christmas triology and some kind of creative. We're preaching hope, joy, peace, and love. So... It's going to be just through the Advent. Aware of that, so you will know um, uh, that that's going on. Uh, so I just want to give you a heads up on that. I don't want you to think that uh, where we're not going, but I just want to give you a heads up. Second Samuel chapter number uh, nineteen. If you can stand for the reading of God's word, we're just going to read a, a few verses of Scripture, and then I will be very methodical and get you out of here at a decent time. Then Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, came down to meet the king, talking about David, but he had neither tended to his feet that were crippled, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes since the day King David departed until the day he came home in peace. And it was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, came from Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? Basically, I asked you to come. What, why didn't you show up? He said, My lord the king, my servant Ziba, which we talked about last week, Ziba. My servant betrayed me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king, since your servants cannot walk. Furthermore, he has slandered your servant, my lord the king, but the lord the king is like an angel of God. Therefore, do what is right in your sight. For all my father's household was only people worthy of death to my lord the king. Yet you placed your servant among those who ate at your own table. So what right do I still have? that I should complain any more to the king. So the king said to him, Why did you not speak of your affairs? I have, de I have decided you and Ziba, Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him take it all. Just give it to him. Since my lord the king has safely made it back to his own house. We're going to pick up the final part, part three of this thought. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. I'm going to ask Brother Randy if he would so kindly to pray over the message and then we'll jump right into it. Pray for us. think that would be in order at this time.
thank you. As I said this morning uh, regarding the message, if there's ever been a season that the words of a message, just like this morning and, and tonight, <laughs> let me preface, that. let me back up just for a moment. I do need to take care of a housekeeping item. I want it to be known. I, it has been brought to my attention. I appreciate the worry and, and that the due time I will be able to share more detail, but um, I want you to know I'm not resigning, okay? I'm not leaving. I know some folks were um, a little concerned uh, as to where I'm, where I'm going. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Uh, it's a little bit different than that. And, um, and uh, so there is, a, there is, I will still be here next Sunday, so there will, there will not be anything of that nature. But as I said, um, you know, uh, a couple uh, hours ago in the Sunday morning service, and I'll, in this season that some things are happening and spiraling and, and things, um, messages like today, uh, this morning as well as tonight, they are, um, they, they, really, they really become more alive than they did maybe three or four weeks ago or, or a month ago or whenever. Not that any sermon you ever preach, you can't apply it to your own life, but there are times that it just hits you harder than it does in your own life. Um, I, I, at all actually, but this morning I stepped out during meet and greet, and Brother Andy had a sign. Um, I thank him for listening to the words of the Lord. I despise him for writing it on the board. Um, but uh, he had uh, put on a sign in his Sunday school class, you know, um, unbeknownst to me at the time, I walk in there just to get my composure to get some things together and thought processes for service. And the sign says, Keeping, uh, keep your faith in Jesus. And I started crying, and I thought, okay, God, seriously, do we really have to do this today? Could you not, you know, send somebody with a million-dollar check and said, keep your faith in Jesus? That would have been a whole lot easier to swallow than here in this room alone. But, um, but I started out of Second Samuel chapter 9, a story of David. I painted you a picture of him standing and after coming home from war and peace with him looking out of the bow over the bow, if you will, of his palace and realizing I was just a shepherd boy in a field. Here I am in a palace and what did I do to deserve this? And he summoned and asked for who was left of Saul's family and they found Mephibosheth and, and he brought him in and told him he would provide for him. And, and I, I said to you, that part of the story was don't empower a position to be greater than your posture. Mephibosheth couldn't walk. He was down in Lodabar. There was a lot of things that Mephibosheth couldn't help. But at one point he was a prince. Now he was a pauper. David was once the pauper that was now the king. They kind of swapped roles. But never allow where you find yourself in that moment in life ever derail you from realizing the posture of prayer and the posture of faith and the posture of hope and be know, knowing in whom you believe in and be persuaded that he is able to sustain and keep you until that day. No matter how high you go or how low you fall, never let it get to the point you forget where it is to be with God. Your posture of, and with God in prayer. And then last week we picked up in 2 Samuel chapter 16 where Ziba was, comes to David and he basically said when David was running from Absalom and, and all of that that was going on in Jerusalem, we, we heard that Ziba had come and Ziba basically painted this picture that Mephibosheth rioted against David and Mephibosheth didn't want to come and he said, my lord the king has left the thing, now the throne will be established back to me and my household. 
I can now get back into good graces, etc. And Ziba painted this picture that Mephibosheth uh, had been revolted after David had promised him food and protection. The Mephibosheth finally saw this as his golden opportunity that was happening with all the insurrection that was happening in Jerusalem. And he paints this picture and David is all the way and I said to you of the prestige of life cultivate a life of pretension don't allow the idea Ziba looked at it and it was oh I could have all the land I could have all the money I could have everything and so what he did is he started creating if you will this own false narrative or that, that word pretension means to claim assertion or to claim something to impress or that doesn't belong to you don't allow wanting something so bad that you're willing to hurt innocent people in the process Ziba paints this picture to David and David gives away all of Mephibosheth's things that he had granted him. And then tonight we read where David comes back to Jerusalem. He finally gets back. He gets rest on all sides. He comes back to Jerusalem. Mephibosheth hears about it. He comes to see David and David points a question to him. He says, why didn't you go? We summoned for you. Why didn't you come when we asked you to come? And, and summarizing it in everyday language, Mephibosheth said, I was, I was deceived. I told Ziba to go to the barn. I told him to bring back my horse. He and I would ride together and we would meet you. He never came back. And then after a couple hours, it dawned on me, he's not coming back. He rode off and left me here and I'm stuck. I don't know where you are at. I don't have a horse. Nobody summoned my horses. I can't go anywhere. I can't walk. How was I going to get to the barn? How was I going to get the horse? I didn't have help. He left me. And ever since you left, I haven't basically taken a shower. He had not changed his clothes. We don't know how many days or weeks or months David had been gone, but he had not changed his clothes. He had not trimmed his beard. He was long, gruffy-looking old man at that point. Not changed his clothes. He had not taken care of his feet. He allowed his feet to become callous and boils and to have you know sores on them from not putting the proper balm and things like that because he, he had like a club foot, so he would drag it and so... I mean, he basically, he, uh, Mephibosheth, if you will, gave up on life. He just gave up. The king's gone. My servant abandoned me. Everybody has left the building. Not just Elvis. Everybody's gone. Nobody's in the building anymore. And in Mephibosheth's mind, I've been deserted by the king. He can't help it, but the king's gone off. He's not here to protect me. Absalom's in the throne. He has no regard for me. And my servant has abandoned me. Everybody has left me here all alone. And he basically gave up. He got into a place of depression. So tonight I want to talk to you about don't allow your problems to rob you of your promise. Don't allow what you see in front of you right now take away what you know God promised you already. The Bible says that God's word is forever set in heaven. Not one dot, not one tittle would pass away. Every eye is dotted, every teacher. God's word will stand the test of time. So if God promised it somehow, whether it's in your lifetime or in generations that follow after you, he will make his word come to pass. He will do it. And the reality of it is, is that while he, he will make his word comes to pass, is that the reality of it is sometimes we don't see it, especially in the now. All throughout scripture, there are countless times where Jesus or, or the Holy Spirit or God would promise something to a family, a generation. But that patriarch of that family would die. I mean, Abraham? Abraham was promised that the Messiah would come out of his lineage. Abraham, count the stars. That's right. 
of stars that are in the sky and you, you can't see. That's how your descendants will be. They'll be insurmountable. They'll be in, in, innumerable. You won't know them, but the Messiah will come to your line. Abraham was not at the cross when Jesus was there. Abraham never saw Jesus born in a manger. Abraham never saw him wrapped in swaddling clothes. Abraham never saw the promise that he was promised. But God made good on the promise. Countless stories throughout the Bible, people were given, if you will, promises of God. They were told, thus saith the word of the Lord. And in essence, sometimes what would end up happening is that in that moment in time, they had to just hold on to what they knew God said, even if they could not see God doing it at that moment. There are times in our lives, and, and I, I would say this uh, cautiously but also optimistically, there are times in our lives we won't do it right then. But we have to believe if he said he'll do it, he will do it when the timing is right. There's a lot of things we may not understand, we may not comprehend, we may not can, uh, uh, grasp in our mind. There are things we may have to, to ponder, but that doesn't mean God forgets it or that God forgot about us. Mephibosheth gave up. He almost, he, in essence, threw in the towel. In essence, he said, I, I'm done. David was my last hope. He was the last guy to help me. He was the only guy. My grandfather's dead. My father's dead. My family lineage is dead. David was the only guy. And he gave me a chance at life. He gave me hope. And now that's gone. My servant said he'd take care of me. He's gone. Countless people walk through life. And there are people maybe in this building. Maybe watching online. Maybe even people that you know. Countless people have walked through life thinking that Life is good, life is great, they've got hope, and then something happens and they feel that, if you will, isolation of there's nobody but me now. Friends walk, families walk, churches walk, everybody walks, abandons, throws in the towel. They don't want the stigma, they don't want the association, they don't want the attachment. They don't want to have their name drugged through the mud. They don't want them to know that they came to their church. They don't want them to know that was their pastor. They don't want them to know that was their spouse. Or their, they, they don't want them to know anything. They don't want to be associated with it. And that person is now left thinking, I'm all alone. Everybody's, the king's gone, the spouse is gone, the family's gone. And Mephibosheth's eyes, every little bit of hope that I had left. I didn't have much hope. I only had a thread of hope and it was threadbare. But what little bit I have gone it's over I wonder how many people that we can encounter day in and day out they only had a little bit of hope to start with but even that little bit of hope now seems like it's evaporated and gone COVID took their hope took a family member their job played out something tragic happened in there whatever it may be but how many people have been in places like Lodabar where they felt like they were hopeless they used to have it all. They had a house. They had a job. They had a family. They had, a, they had it all. Now they have nothing. They don't have everything that they've known, everything they were accustomed to, a way of life. They had it all. And like that, it was gone. They went from the prince to the pauper. They went from rich to poor. They went from hope to hopeless. They went from joy 
to brokenness and sorrow, pain. Yeah, joy comes in the morning. The only problem is it. That's the only problem I've ever had with that scripture. People be quoting, oh, pastor, weeping endures for the night, but the joy of the Lord comes in the morning. I'm thinking, yes, but it's metaphorical. How long is the night? If the night's only eight hours like most nights for us or 12 hours or whatever it may be, that's great. What if it's not 12 hours but 12 years? Eight years. What if it's no longer weeping endures for the night, it's not for a day, it's for years or months weeks or maybe for the rest of that person's life what if the weeping may endure for the night joy comes in the morning what if the joy coming in the morning is not coming until heaven it's not going to be on this side of heaven see it's not always a blink of an eye it's just woohoo it goes away it's not how that works see I don't know how long David was gone but in that prayer process of time Mephibosheth gave up he quit trimming his beard, he quit grooming himself, he quit changing his clothes, he quit taking care of his feet. He, he gave up. In essence, he gave up. He once had it all, it was stripped away. He got a little glimpse of hope, Brother James. Something came along his way, gave him just a little bit of hope. Maybe life is not as bad as I thought it was. Just a sliver of hope. And it was gone. And life... Prayed for a spouse, a child, a loved one, whatever, unbeliever, whatever you want to call for it. Prayed for it. And all of a sudden, years and years and years, and all of a sudden, it seems like God's changing the tide. And you kind of feel like, yes, God's doing it. And then the rug just gets ripped out from under you, and everything you thought was progress now is like three steps back instead of one step forward. It's just taken right out from you. I don't know about you, but I have seen it where things look like they're going great, but then all of a sudden they go south very quickly. Now, there are great stories of people like Brother Wendell who lived a life outside of the faith, but God brought him back to the faith. That's wonderful. How many people, though, were the opposite story? They started out in the faith, but they're not there now. They started out strong. They ran the race well. They tried. Where are they now? Lodabar? Where are they now? Where's their heart now? Where's their emotions now? Where, where, did, where do they feel that they belong now? See, grace and mercy is a beautiful thing. Except the only way grace and mercy works is when something goes bad. You don't need grace and mercy if you've done nothing to need grace and mercy. We've talked about it. Grace grace is what God gives us that we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we did deserve. So if we say, oh, thank God for the mercies of God. We sang a couple weeks ago, I'm alive to tell the story. How I've overcome your goodness and mercies and the power of the Mercy, it's, it's not getting what I do deserve. So what it means is I deserve something pretty bad. If God had to give me mercy, that obviously meant I deserve something not so good. Which means I, I was guilty of that. 
grace, if you say, oh, I've been saved by the grace of God, that's great. What you're really saying is God gave you something you shouldn't have got. You shouldn't have got it. You didn't deserve it. <laughs> so when people brag and, and say, and I'm not saying you shouldn't still tell people I'm saved by grace and the mercy of God. I'm not telling you still don't testify that. I'm telling you, you must understand, though, when you say that, what you're really admitting is you weren't always what you were cracked up to be today. You were not always perfect. You're not always this epiphany of Christianity that everybody sees. For grace and mercy to work, something has to have happened for grace and mercy to be applied. You know, it's easy for someone, for us to celebrate someone like Brother Wendell's story. What about the person that, whether they start on this race and they trip up along the way, what do we do to them? We go pick them up and try to get them back and restore them, or do we just watch them crash and burn? I don't know. I can't answer that question for you. I'm going to tell you what happened in David's story. When David found out what Ziba had did, he was hurt. He was broken, thought that he was all alone. He's lost his palace. His children has turned against him. I mean, remember I told you these stories kind of parallel. David went from pauper to prince or king. Mephibosheth went from prince to pauper. But if you notice, both men felt the same way alone. King, poor, rich, not rich, still felt isolated and alone. David felt, my son's turned against me. My, my best friend's son, Mephibosheth, he's turned against Everybody's turned against me. The son's taken over the kingdom. I'm telling you, the same time Mephibosheth's on the other side of the tracks going, my best friend's fault. My best, my father's best friends turned his back on me, and my family's abandoned me. My only person I have was my servant. He's abandoned me. I don't have children. Both men feel the same pain. The same. One has an entourage of people. One has, if you will, a a a a a, a lot of advisors because he's in the palace. One has all the people at his disposal. But he's not living in the palace right now. He's in a cave. So he doesn't have that luxury anymore. He's not bathing in ivory and, and, and having ivory soaps and having all these bath bombs and things and all these, uh, if you are perfumers and things like that. David's a vagabond. He's lost all of that. He's a nomad, if you will, at this moment. David can't take a good shower because he's not in he has to hide and take it somewhere in a creek or on a, on a river somewhere because he's not the king right now. So is Mephibosheth. He's not in the palace. He, he's nowhere to be found either. It doesn't matter how rich you are, poor you are, how smart you are, how dumb you are. We're all going to face the same problems at some point. We're all going to face problems. We all face them. David feels isolated and abandoned. All alone, family and friends deserted. Mephibosheth feels isolated, abandoned, all alone, family and friends deserted. David went from being almost killed by his predecessor Saul to God promising him the kingdom and he waited out his turn and then he became and he's got peace on every side but it seems like but then his son revolts and all this stuff. Mephibosheth's living the luxurious life but then all of a sudden daddy and my grandpa gets killed and now I'm running for my life. And I can't even run. See, the devil's no respecter of persons. He doesn't care. The devil doesn't care if you're the preacher or you're a Sunday school teacher 
you're a sound technician, you're an usher, or a tithe payer, or you're just a good old boy who just comes in and just sits on the back pew and does nothing. He doesn't care who you are. He's willing to take anybody out that he can. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Reality of it is, the more he takes down, the better he feels about himself. David is set in this predicament, if you will. He makes, and I said this last week, that David makes an irrational decision. He allows temporary circumstances, if you will. He makes a permanent decision based off of that. But I will say, it's easier said than done. I, I, I would like to tell you, don't make permanent decisions on temporary. But that's really hard when you're in the moment. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you should still do it. You know you shouldn't. I'm, I'm advising you don't make permanent decisions on temporary circumstances that you have to live by. But I can't always default to condemn those that do because until you're in that moment, you don't know what you will do. The reality of it is people at various stages and walks of life are difficult. And um, David, David says, you know what? If Mephibosheth wants to be that way, just Ziva, you can have it all. Just take it all. David shows up. David comes to, if you will, the outside of the palace. Stored back to his kingdom. He is if you will, in some respects, back to where he belongs. Mephibosheth shows up and says, okay, missed you. Um, glad you're back. And David says, what are you doing here? I called for you to go and you didn't go. Now, now I want you to understand this picture I'm painting to you. We're still talking about don't forget where you came from. And I'm still talking about where David and Mephibosheth, the dichotomy, if you will, of, of where they come. The reality of it is, David still felt hurt by Mephibosheth because he remembered what happened a couple of days earlier, or months, or whatever. He was hurt by Mephibosheth's decision. But Mephibosheth's hurt by whatever things happened to him, too. So you got two hurt men trying to rationalize in a palace. That don't always go so well. Men are not often rational when they're hurt most of the time. The reality of it is, David is still wants some answers. So does Mephibosheth. And David, we know in that moment he basically says, well, what do you hear? And I read it to you. Mephibosheth said, well, I, I haven't trimmed my beard. I haven't changed my clothes. I haven't done any of the above. I haven't done anything since the day you left this place. I ain't done none of it. I was waiting for you to get back. David said, but I told you to go with me. And he said, well, here's what happened. The reality of it is that every one of us in this life, we talk about don't forget where you came from. David knew where he came from as a shepherd boy, now as the king, and Mephibosheth as a prince, now as a pauper. But as I said to you earlier, everybody experiences problems, but we all have a promise that's been given by God. 
The reality of that is David in that moment, Brother Mike, knew I was a shepherd boy. But I remember Samuel came by my house with a ram's horn full of oil. And the man of God who has now been dead and gone poured this oil over my head. He prophesied over my life. He said I was going to be a king. He said I was going to rule the nation. He said that my kingdom, that, that the Lord would establish my kingdom. There would be no end, the end to it. The Lord was going to bless me. And I don't know how this is going to work out, but that was my promise. Mephibosheth over here remembers David telling him, for as long as I'm alive... Mephibosheth, you'll never have to worry about food. You'll never have to worry about protection. I'll protect you. You'll eat like one of my servants. You will have food. You will have protection. And Mephibosheth has a promise. But in this moment, neither one of them are feeling much like the promise. They're feeling like their problems is the most important thing. That's what the enemy is so good at. Magnifying the problem so that you forget the promise. And see, so what happens is, problem has to become diminished so that the promise becomes enlarged because the reality of it is this he's bigger than all my problems he's bigger than all my needs God is bigger than any mountain I can or cannot see bigger than all the questions that may come in my way God is bigger than any mountain I can or cannot see. I'm not going to always see the problem coming, but I know there's a God that's bigger than the problem that's coming my way. And the reality of it is the promise was never, I don't have problems. The promise was the problem will not overtake you. The promise was never, you'll never walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The promise was when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear for I am with you and my rod and staff will comfort you. The promise wasn't I won't have to sit at the table with my enemies. It says thou will prepare a table before me in my presence, before me and my enemies, but my cup will run over, for surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The promise never said I don't have the problem. The promise said I'm not going to be victimized and taken over by the problem. There is a difference. David says, why didn't you go? Mephibosheth says, I tried. David says, the only thing I can do now, I've made my, I gave my word. I told Ziba he could have, I can split the land back up, but Ziba's got to get his part, and you got to get your part. I can, I can give it separate, but I, I can't, I can't do much more than that. And this is how you know God knows what he's doing. And even when you have hurting men and hurting women, and you have multiple people in a room that's hurting, what you have to remember is God knows how to just put it all back together. Watch what happens. Mephibosheth felt abandoned by David and his servants. David felt abandoned by his family and servants. But when they get into the room, when, does anybody remember what David's specialty was before he became a king? He was a worshiper. He knew how to love God when no one else loved God. That's how David became the king because he was a man after God's own heart. David sitting outside... Uh, of the of the you know in the field on a rock stump of a rock on a grassy sea, uh, grassy hillside on a Judean hillside somewhere watching dumb sheep run around in the field and he's strumming his harp making songs to worship to God whether he's pinning things like Psalms 23 or whether he's pinning Psalms 150 whatever he's doing or whether he's pinning Psalms 3 whatever he may be pinning at the time he is writing worship songs to God 
Nobody else is hearing them. They're not going in a convention book. He's not sending them to Pathway Press for them to publicize them in the next choir convention. No, he's writing them because that's his heart pouring out before God. And in that moment, he was a worshiper. And God brought him from a worshiper to being the king. And so what happens is you've got a hurt man and you've got a hurt king. You've got a former uh, royalty member of a fam royal family member. And you've got a current royal family member. Both men in a room hurting. But when worship, the heart of worship is in the room and says, Look, I can only do so much, but all I can do is say God will help us. And here's what I can do. What happens is when you put all those hurts together, but when you begin to worship the Lord, something comes in the room and changes the moment. And Ziba says, I don't want it. I'm going to read it to you. I, mean, I, I don't want you to mis, me to misquote it. I'm going, to, I'm going to read it back to you, exactly what it says. The king says, why didn't you speak of your affairs? I've decided the only thing I can do is you and Ziba can divide the land. This is how you know God's in the room. I don't want it. Let him have that. The land means nothing to me now. It's just land. What matters is the Lord, the king, has come safely to his own house. What Mephibosheth is saying is worship has been restored back into the house. I'm not worried about the land. I'm worried about God being back in the kingdom. I'm worried about God. I was worried that God's presence was not with us. Wickedness had prevailed. Wickedness was doing this. Wickedness was doing that. I just needed God to come back to where he belonged, into the house. And righteousness was restored. See, the reality of it is, in our lifetime, problems will come. They always do. But there are promises. They're outlined in the holy pages of Scripture that are for us to still claim today. For I have plans for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That's a promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That is a promise. Lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. That is a promise. Of God. I said to you a few moments ago that there's been lots of people in the Bible that God gave them a promise and they didn't live to see the fulfillment of the promise. Abraham never saw the Messiah, but Abraham was promised the Messiah would come through his lineage. There might be things in our lives we know God promised. We may not see them in this lifetime. As I said, weeping endures for the night, but how long is the night season? We may never know. Joy may not be till we get to heaven. What we can know is that if God promised it, whether we see it or not, He won't forget it and He'll do it. So here's Miss Carol as you make your way. The reality is pretty simple, but yet it's so complex at times. We started this whole entire series three weeks ago. In 2 Samuel, where David is standing again at the bow of his palace, looking out over the Jerusalem dim-lit skies, candles flickering in the windows, stars beaming above the skyline. He's thinking about the goodness of God. He's not had to run yet. He's living in the palace. He's thinking about how good God has been. And he asked a question, is there anything I can do to honor the man of God that was before me? And they said, he's got a grandson who's lame on his feet. 
He's, in, he's down in Lodabar. I told you Jerusalem, Jerusalem's the only city that you, no matter which area you came from, you always were going up to Jerusalem. It was built up on a mountain. You had to go up. When you leave Jerusalem, no matter which direction you go, you're always going down from Jerusalem. You're never going up from Jerusalem. You're going down from Jerusalem and always going up to Jerusalem. David established that as the capital city, so everything had to look up. The Bible says, look up. For your redemption draws nigh. Lift up your head, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ever let everything looks up to God. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Lift up your voice to God. David remembered where he didn't forget where he came from. He knew he didn't belong there, so he wanted to show kindness. Mephibosheth didn't really forget where he came from. He's down in Lodabar dreaming of what life used to be. I'm not here tonight to. After a three-week series, I'm not here tonight to talk about the nomadic and the victorious life of the great conqueror and King David. I'm not here to talk about what it's like to live like Mephibosheth. The whole three-part series was just real simple this. Where have you come from? I'm not talking about Cordsville or Macedonia or Bono or Goose Creek or Somerville or Monk's Corner. I'm not talking about your longitude and latitude coordinates of your house or your work. That's not what I'm talking about. My question is, where did you come from? Is Where were you before God found you? Maybe you... Maybe you are like John the Baptist. Maybe you felt like you were saved coming out of the womb. If you were, praise the Lord. But some people weren't that lucky and fortunate. The reality of it is you're here tonight in this building. Which says to me that whether or not you have forgotten where you come from, God's brought you a mighty long way whether you admit to it or not. He has. There are a lot of broken people, hurting people in this world. They don't need, and I say this, and please do not misread what I'm, I'm about to say to this body. They don't need another man in a three-piece suit. And I'm not talking about preaching the Word of God. Listen to me carefully. Yes, the Word of God should be preached. The Apostle Paul said it so eloquently. He said, if anything but preaching, if, if I don't preach it, I, everything else is vain. I mean, it, preaching the Word, you have to be ready to preach it. I'm talking about preaching it. This world doesn't need one more person to come at them with a sledgehammer approach with the Bible and beat their living brains out when it comes to their faith or their lack of. Doesn't mean we shouldn't tell them. There's too many broken people. They don't need somebody else. I used the example this morning, if you remember. If I laid someone on this table and you didn't know it, I just had something laid under a sheet and you could see the object, but you couldn't tell what it was. And I offered you $1,000 to come and hit it. And you said, okay. And I said, but you can't touch the sheet to see what it is. You just got to hit it. And you punched it as hard as you can. I handed you $1,000. And when I moved the sheet, it was a little baby or a little boy or a little girl that was two or three years old. You had fractured their ribs. You had crushed their internal organs. And we had to call EMS to them. You'd feel horrible. You'd feel horrible. You, you'd, you'd hurt something innocent. You didn't see it. We can't always see what's inside somebody. 
We can do a whole lot more damage just wielding and punching and screaming rather than being agents of mercy and grace. God doesn't need people. I told you when I was talking about catching and cleaning fish, God doesn't need us to beat people up. He needs us to let Him do that job and clean them up. Our job is just to get them to a place they can find hope and healing. Three years we battled COVID or two and a half years. Everything for about two years I posted, I tagged the hash line HOPE as an acronym. Does anybody remember what it stood for? Hold on. Pandemic's end. At one time, I was I remember sitting in my chair. And I kept thinking, COVID's kind of over. We've got flu and things like that. So what's the hope now? If, if hope was hold on, pandemic's end. What is the hope now since COVID's not as rampant? And here's what I have discovered just this week and in my office today. There's still hope, but here's what hope is. Now, hope is not hold on, pandemic's end. Hope is hold on, God's promises are eternal. I can't, I, I can't control COVID. It's doing whatever it is or falling apart, whatever you want to call it. Oh, problems are real. Problems are evident. <laughs> problems are always going to be around. But if you hold on, church, even problems end. <laughs> and promises are eternal. So when you walk out of here today and you say, well, I have a hope. We start next week talking about the Advent season. We're starting out with the Sermon of Hope. When you start out this week and you're living your life, just remember, no matter what you face this week, hold on problems end and hold on God's promises are eternal and no matter how big the problem there's a bigger God than the problem you think you're facing right now there's a bigger God will you bow your heads with me tonight Father in the name of Jesus I've done my best to share your word God, I have to trust, hold on, problems in. God, I have to trust, hold on, your promises are eternal. God, I have to believe with all my heart. And if your word said it, you'll do it. God, I know beyond a shadow of doubt we are in a moment where people's lives are hurting, hearts are breaking. And God, we only can turn to you because you're all we've got. Let us not forget where we've come from and how the mercy and grace found us. And when we leave this place today, let us know there's still a hope in Jesus. A hope that is steadfast and sure. And an anchor that will always endure. Father, as we get ready to leave this place,
I pray that you would bless us and keep us. Make his face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts until you come again. Father, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and blessed Redeemer, and everything we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor that is due Christ Jesus our Lord. The body of Christ together said amen. Amen. Before you're dismissed, I'm going to ask Brother Randy Erchberger to pray our benedictory prayer. And immediately following that prayer, you're dismissed. Don't forget Wednesday night. From 6 to 8, you can come anywhere in that window. We're going to be helping get the float ready for the fall festival or the Christmas parade for town. It will be in the back in the children's department. We'll have you some coffee and stuff so you don't have to be malnourished. Uh, we'll bring all the snacks that direction for you. But if you'll help us get that together, we would certainly appreciate it. I love you. I'm praying for you. God bless you. Brother Randy.